Hey, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Zoom Info First Quarter Year 2021 Financial Results Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. After the speaker's presentation, there will be a question and answer session. To ask a question during that session, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. If you require any further assistance, please press star 0. I would now like to hand the conference over to your speaker today, Barry Sitsitsky, Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thanks, Carmen. Welcome to Zoom Info's Financial Results Conference Call, highlighting our results for the first quarter of 2021. With me on the call today are Henry Schuck, CEO and founder of Zoom Info, and Cameron Heiser, our Chief Financial Officer. After their remarks, we'll open the call to Q&A. During this call, any forward-looking statements are made pursuant to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. Expressions of future goals, including business outlook, expectations for future financial performance, and similar items, including, without limitation, expressions using the terminology may, will, and believe, and expressions which reflect something other than historical facts, are intended to identify forward-looking statements. Forward-looking statements involve a number of risks and uncertainties, including those discussed in the risk factors sections of our filings with the SEC. Actual results may differ materially from any forward-looking statements. The company undertakes no obligation to revise or update any forward-looking statements in order to reflect events that may arise after this conference call, except as required by law. For more information, please refer to the cautionary statement included in the slides that we've posted to our investor relations website at ir.zoominfo.com. All metrics discussed in this call are non-GAAP unless otherwise noted. A reconciliation can be found in the financial results press release or in the slides that we have posted to our investor relations website. Lastly, we plan to be at a number of conferences and investor events over the course of the quarter, including our inaugural Analyst Investor Day event, which we are hosting in a virtual format on Monday, June 14th, beginning at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. This event coincides with our first-ever user conference that we're also hosting that week. Please save the date. More details and registration information will be available through our Investor Relations website over the coming weeks. We look forward to your participation. With that, I'll turn the call over to our CEO, Henry Schuck. Great. Thank you, Jerry, and welcome, everyone. The first quarter was marked by strong accelerating growth across all of our business lines. We delivered GAAP revenue of $153 million, representing 50% year-over-year growth and 12% sequentially when adjusted for the number of days in the quarter. Adjusted operating income was $66 million, representing an operating margin of 43%. These results were driven by dependable execution across the entire company, from new business to product development to retention. Our focus on continuous improvement as a core cultural value and the execution we build on top of that has allowed us to deliver our near-term financial results consistently while setting us up for long-term durable growth. We had strong results across all areas of the business, and I want to specifically call out that we achieved our best-ever Q1 results this quarter on three dimensions, new business, new customer additions, and retention activity. We doubled the number of new customers added this quarter compared to Q1 2020. We also had record renewals and upsells as a percentage of beginning ACV for our first quarter as we saw demand for our products continue to accelerate with companies looking to drive a digital, data-driven, go-to-market motion. While we continue to deliver on the near-term promise of this business, exceeding our quarterly financial guidance and raising our full-year guidance, it is the conversations I'm having with customers and prospects 
that makes me confident that our long-term opportunity is even bigger than what we had first envisioned. When we founded ZoomInfo, sellers and marketers desperately needed a better view of their potential customers, and we were a world-class provider of company and contact data that could help them solve that problem. Our, our data was, and still is today, a mission-critical need for businesses. Since then, we've innovated and invested hundreds of millions of dollars behind that data asset, continuing to drive material improvements in the way we gather, normalize, match and cleanse that data with the use of AI and machine learning. And leveraging that is the foundation of our fully scalable platform that powers the digitization of how companies go to market, from sales to marketing to account management, from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel, and from new sales to upsells and cross-sales to renewals. Our platform starts with our market-leading and highly accurate data layer, delivers critical sales insights and signals, automates best actions with our next-generation workflow software and our tightly integrated activation layer and gauge. This integrated suite of data and software helps businesses of all sizes and across all industries activate targeted opportunities in an efficient, scalable, and repeatable way. As we continue to invest in automating workflow, expanding the coverage and quality of the data we publish, and leveraging that data asset across our platform's application stack, we are building a wider and wider moat around the company. As our data and platform grows, so does the addressable market where our solutions are making an, making an impact. To today, we not only help salespeople and marketers, but we also help recruiters and data operations and technology teams. We not only work with small and mid-sized companies across the United States, but we also serve enterprise companies around the globe. At our Analyst Day later this quarter, we anticipate providing a more granular and detailed view into our plans to target this large and growing market. The quarter included new and expansion transactions from a diverse group of customers across a broad spectrum of industries, from clean energy companies like DaVinci Energy to direct-to-consumer firms like Keurig, Uber, Veridesk, and the Carolina Panthers. Even at a company that appears to be consumer-only, if you look a little further, you'll almost always find a growing B2B motion there. We also brought on Experian Hireworks and IDC. And a great customer story comes from Modern Chemical, which shifted from a growing and successful cold brew distributor to a provider of hand sanitizers sold directly to businesses in the middle of the pandemic. We're lucky to work with firms of all sizes from all industries but we're especially proud to provide our solutions to companies that are able to leverage our data, technology, and insights to drive growth in new and unknown markets with entrenched competitors. Our platform levels the playing field for how these companies are able to acquire their next customers. We also continue to successfully execute our large and growing enterprise opportunity with a focus on driving more than with a focus on driving more from the greater than $1 billion of seed expansion opportunity we've identified within our existing enterprise customers. In increasingly, our platform is becoming the strategic imperative for large organizations looking to transform their CRM from a system of records to a system of insights. This imperative and strategy is driven from the C-suite and has opened the door to meaningful conversations for us across the enterprise while also leading to larger, more transformational engagements. This quarter, we closed one of our largest ever transactions, 
a multi-year eight-figure deal, while we also more than doubled the additions to the greater than $100,000 ACV cohort year over year. As of March 31st, we had more than 950 customers with $100,000 or more in ACV, up from more than 850 last quarter. While others trying to target the enterprise opportunity are still using FTP sites to manually drop and enhance files, we released our new API webhooks, allowing our customers to programmatically receive a continuous stream of our data and insights, technology that is a full generation ahead of FTP enrichment, and a material improvement to the more modern request and response method. This new functionality allows us to deliver more value to enterprises and better target the data as a service opportunity that we are uniquely positioned to win in following our acquisition and integration of EverStream. Additionally, during the quarter, we added more resources to capitalize on the growing international opportunity, where we saw new customers join us from Dubai, Sydney, Vienna, Rio de Janeiro, Helsinki, and Berlin, to name a few. March was our strongest month ever in our international segment, with increasing win rates and demand across Europe and accelerating traction in the UK, Ireland, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada. International revenue grew 14% on a days-adjusted sequential quarter basis as we continue to see international customers embrace data to drive efficiencies in their sales and marketing processes. On the product side, our investment to deepen our integration with Salesforce is paying off with rapidly increasing adoption of our new Salesforce Sync capability. This capability allows users to marry first-party Salesforce data directly into Zoom Info filters, from account data to lead and contact data and now opportunity data. We saw, more, we saw a more than eight-fold increase in the number of accounts that have enabled this bi-directional sync. Our sales engagement and automation platform Engage also continues to accelerate. Engage ACV doubled compared to Q4 2020, and we're seeing a 25% increase in user adoption of the core Zoom Info platform when customers combine the use of Zoom Info and Engage. We also see the benefits of this adoption within our retention and renewal numbers, where customers who are dual users of Engage and Zoom Info have materially higher renewal and retention rates than those who are Zoom Info-only customers. This is one of the most exciting things about the Engage platform. It has multi-area benefits. Customers buy Engage, which increases adoption of both Engage and Zoom Info. And investment behind Engage has material benefits across our recruiter and international packages where that product is a built-in offering. This quarter, we significantly expanded the integration points between Engage and the Zoom Info platform, enhancing the ability to search and import contacts from Zoom Info and Salesforce into Engage, and allowing users to configure target market buyer personas to receive an automated feed of recommended contacts to pursue. More than 40% of active users have used these features just one month after release. We're also integrating our, in our Salesforce sync capability, enabling customers to automatically synchronize Salesforce data and engage while, I, while we're adding additional integrations into CRM and marketing tools like HubSpot and building out enhanced administrative and managerial controls within our platform. Our customers also continue to adopt the broad spectrum of our market-leading solutions, including our B2B intent data, which gets them closer to in-market buyers by building automated workflows around intent spikes, topics relevant to their products and services. 
These data-driven motions have fueled a significant increase across our intent products, with intent ACV doubling year over year. Our Inbox AI product, which automates the creation and enrichment of contact, lead, and activity data from a seller's inbox directly into CRM, triples year over year. And from an overall platform engagement perspective, we saw 12% sequential increases in monthly and daily active user adoption, demonstrating our ability to scale users while also increasing their usage and adoption of our platform. The market reaction to our platform continues to be incredibly positive. Since our last earnings call, ZoomInfo was named a leader by Forrester Research in the Q2 2021 Forrester Wave for B2B marketing data providers, receiving the highest possible scores in 18 categories, including data security and privacy, data acquisition and processing, integrations, APIs and applications, sales support, solution packaging and pricing, and product roadmap and vision. Forrester stated that ZoomInfo is a best fit for organizations looking for a comprehensive data solution with an expanding array of complementary applications built on a shared data foundation. On top of that, we also received 26 number one placements from G2, and we earned the Trust Radius Top Rated Award for Sales Intelligence Software for the fourth consecutive year. Finally, we obtained GDPR and CCPA practices validation from TrustArc. The months-long process to achieve this validation included deep audits of our privacy practices and reinforces both our data privacy leadership and our focus on being privacy forward to earn the trust of our customers. Over the last 12 months, we grew our team by nearly 50%. While we have spent the last year working from home, our focus on improving ourselves 1% every day has continued to drive an incredible amount of internal mobility as our employees challenge themselves to master new skills. From promotions to cross-functional moves, the opportunities for career advancement at ZoomInfo far outpace the industry average. We encourage every member of our team to embrace new responsibilities to achieve both personal and professional growth. And our employees are looking forward to getting into the office many for the first time ever, and meeting their teammates in person. We plan to begin returning to the office in July, and I'm excited to be able to gather in person with colleagues again as we're preparing our offices around the world to accommodate a hybrid return-to-work model. I'm confident that this team will continue to define new possibles when we are all innovating, collaborating, and learning together in person again. With that, I'll hand it over to our Chief Financial Officer, Cameron Heiser. Thanks, Henry. Q1 was a great quarter with strong financial results that exceeded our guidance. We saw broad-based strength across the business, and as Henry indicated, we achieved our best-ever Q1 results for new business, new customer additions, and retention activity. This quarter was also highlighted by our successful expansion with enterprise customers, growing sales of our newer products, and strong international growth. As a result, we are raising our outlook for the year and now expect to deliver revenue growth of 41% in 2021, up from our prior guidance of 36% at the midpoint. We're also guiding to adjusted operating income in the range of 290 to $294 million, up from our prior guidance of 280 to $285 million. In Q1, we delivered GAAP revenue of $153 million. This exceeded our 144 to $146 million revenue guidance range, 
and represents 50% year-over-year growth and 12% sequential growth as adjusted for days in the quarter. In the first quarter, adjusted operating income was $66 million. This also exceeded our guidance range of $61 to $63 million and represents a margin of 40%. During the first quarter, we continued to see strong new customer additions and positive momentum with respect to retention and upsell activity. We also continued to successfully execute against the large and growing enterprise opportunity. We had strong enterprise renewals and our enterprise upsell motion is really hitting its stride. In the quarter, we doubled the number of greater than $100,000 ACD customers added as compared to the year ago period. As a result, as of March 31st, we had more than 950 customers with $100,000 or more in ACV, up from more than 850 last quarter. We also continue to expand beyond software and business services with particular strength in finance, insurance, real estate, and manufacturing verticals. Additionally, during the quarter, we added more resources to capitalize on the growing international opportunity, which resulted in days-adjusted sequential quarter international revenue growth of 14%. With international revenue growing faster than the overall business, we now have over 10% of our revenue coming from international markets. As we invest in additional growth vectors, our focus remains on delivering durable revenue growth and absolute levels of adjusted operating income. As a result, as we drive elevated levels of growth, there's the potential that margins may be impacted. As we have outlined in the past, calculated billings and RPO can be imprecise metrics with noise obscuring the signal of in-period activity. As a result, we focus on days-adjusted sequential revenue growth, which is the growth in total revenue divided by the days in the quarter compared to the prior quarter. We delivered 12% days-adjusted sequential revenue growth in the first quarter, strong results relative to our expectations and great momentum for the remainder of the year. This performance provides further confidence in our ability to raise our guidance for 2021. As we move on to expenses, we increased our investment in research and development in the quarter as planned, investing to expand our data advantage and further extend the workflow and activation capabilities of our platform. We also continue to increase sales and marketing capacity to go after the large and expanding market opportunity. As a result, in Q1, we delivered adjusted operating income margins of 43% in line with guidance. Turning to the balance sheet and cash flow, We ended the quarter with $356 million in cash, cash equivalents, and short-term investments. In the first quarter, we generated operating cash flows of $93 million, which included approximately $7 million of interest payments in the quarter. As I indicated on our last call, we repaid part of our term loan and repriced the remainder while issuing a new senior unsecured bond in the first quarter, contributing to the $34 million in cash used for financing activities. We expect those transactions will reduce our cash interest expense by approximately $3 million in 2021. Unlevered free cash flow was $98 million for the quarter, almost 150% of adjusted operating income, as both billings and collections were strong in the quarter. Looking forward, we anticipate unlevered free cash flow conversion rates in the high 90s or 100s as a percentage of adjusted operating income on an annual basis. With respect to liabilities and future performance obligations, unearned revenue at the end of the quarter was $262 million, 
and the remaining performance obligations, or RPO, were $592 million, of which $461 million are expected to be delivered in the next 12 months. As of March 31st, we carried $750 million in gross debt at a net leverage ratio of 1.6 times trailing 12 months adjusted EBITDA, or 1.2 times trailing 12 months credit agreement EBITDA. Lastly, before we turn to guidance, I would like to welcome Prasad Kadambi to the team. We announced that Prasad was joining the company as Chief Accounting Officer in October, and since then, he's helped his clients at KPMG get through year-end before joining us in March. He has led engagements with some, of the, with some of the largest software and subscription companies in the world, including Adobe and Salesforce. With that, I'll provide our outlook for the second quarter and updated outlook for the full year 2021. For Q2, we expect gap revenue in the range of $161 to $163 million and adjusted operating income in the range of $68 to $70 million. Non-GAAP net income is expected to be in the range of 11 to 12 cents per share. Our guidance implies year-over-year revenue growth of 46% at the midpoint and an adjusted operating income margin of 43%. We are updating our full year 2022 guidance as follows. We now expect GAAP revenue in the range of 670 to $676 million, an increase from our prior guidance of 645 to $655 million an adjusted operating income of $290 to $294 million, an increase from our prior guidance of $280 to $285 million. Non-GAAP net income for the year is expected to be $0.49 to $0.50 cents per share, an increase from our prior guidance of $0.47 to $0.49 cents per share, both amounts based on 405 million diluted weighted average shares outstanding. And we anticipate unlevered free cash flow to be in the range of 290 to 295 million dollars, an increase from our prior guidance of 270 to 280 million dollars. Our full year guidance implies 41% revenue growth. With that, let me turn it over to the operator to open up the call for questions. Thank you. And as a reminder, to ask a question, press star one to get in the queue. And we do ask that you please remove your questions to one. To remove yourself from the queue, press the pound or hash key. The first question is from C.T. Panigrahi with Mizuho. Please go ahead. Uh, th- thanks for taking my question. Uh, Henry, you, t- you talked about um, a strong upsell and renewal. Uh, I'm wondering what percentage of your customer, mainly enterprise customer, now using NGIS platform? And also, could you talk about, you know, PKG and Westring, you said, last quarter uh, in, uh, completed the integration. What sort of adoption or cross-selling you saw in the best? Yeah, great. I think first, a very, you know, Engage is still very, very new. And so it's a tiny, tiny percentage of our customer base that's uh, using Engage today. And so we feel really good about the upside opportunity there. We're getting great feedback from the customers who are on it. Like I mentioned, we're seeing higher renewal and retention rates from the customers who are using both ZoomInfo and Engage. And then every investment dollar in Engage doesn't just go to enhance Engage, but it also goes to enhance our offerings internationally and our recruiter offering where Engage is built into those packages. And so we feel really good about the investments there, but it's still really early innings for that. 
on uh, Clickagy and Everstring. What we did with the Clickagy asset is that we built it into the industry's first streaming and temp product, and that product is growing tremendously across our base. It's also built into our elite package, and so we're driving, uh, driving more prospects and customers from our advanced and professional versions of our platform into the elite version of our platform where they get intent um, and streaming intent within that platform. And, uh, and that asset, from a data perspective, is feeding our intent offering, which we think uh, is one of the, the offerings that will be here for years and years to come. Our customers want to be in front of their prospective customers when they're in market for their products and services and intent gives them visibility into what their prospective customers and prospects are doing and researching online. And so we feel really good about that offering, and the Clickagy asset is being leveraged for that. On, on the EverString side, sorry, City, on the, on the EverString side, uh, we fully integrated the EverString data asset uh, into our data as a service offering, and that's a key offering within our enterprise customers. And in the, large, in, the, in the very large deal that I talked about in the prepared remarks, that customer is also taking advantage of enrichment that's being sent through uh, the combination of the EverString and Zoom Info data assets. Henry, thanks, thanks for the caller. Our next question comes from Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Yes, thank you. Congrats on a, a terrific uh, start to the year. I wanted to ask you, the, I think mathematically, uh, Cameron, there's $8 million of revenue upside in Q1, but the fiscal year guidance is moving higher, I think, by about $23 million. Um, so are you seeing something different in the pipeline that's driving uh, greater confidence in the rest of the year? Uh, in other words, um, maybe this international strength is, uh, you see that flowing through, or is it more, you know, engage in recruiter offerings starting to feather in in the back half? So, yeah, I think, first off, certainly the, um, the ACV that was generated in Q1 above our kind of initial model and guidance is more than the 8 million revenue that was recognized, so that certainly contributes that we'll continue to see that revenue kind of throughout the year. And I do think that, you know, from an execution standpoint, we're, um, you know, firing on all cylinders with respect to many of the um, expansion opportunities that we have, both internationally and with Engage and the other new products. So it does provide us with a, a healthy baseline to, to bring up our growth assumptions. Okay. If I could sneak in just a, a very quick second one. Um, Henry, the, can you just explain why is international growing faster than domestic, just given, you know, there's a stronger economic rebound domestically, and then we have more of the COVID uh, flare-ups that are still have it happening uh, internationally? Yeah, Mark, I think a couple of things. First, internationally, there's obviously lower penetration uh, there than there is domestically, uh, I think is the first thing. I think the second thing is, there really isn't an offering internationally that can bring together data coverage and technology for go-to-market teams the way that we can. We uh, the, the way that we can, and so when we're going there, it's largely evangelistic. But uh, but the customers are really excited about the opportunity to use data, oftentimes for the first time, to to impact their go-to-market efforts. And so the market is 
um, the market is ready for this type of solution internationally. They haven't seen a packaged solution the way that we can bring it uh, before. And so when we're able to show them how they can actually truly digitize the way they go to market, the response has been overwhelmingly positive. Excellent. Thank you very much. Our next question comes from Alex Sukin with Wolf's Research. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my question, and congrats on the quarter. So maybe just a first one for Henry. You know, a couple obviously the standout numbers with a 50-plus percent growth and, and $100,000 customers, and you call out an eight-figure deal. So can you maybe talk about the pipeline for the rest of the year, comment on if the pandemic is actually driving some shortening of sales cycles for you, given the pull from the demand environment and, and even the push from your brand equity uh, really coming together post-IPO as well? Yeah, I think actually, and thanks, Alex. Um, I think actually one of the things to think about with that eight-figure deployment is really how it came together. And this was a company that uh, four years ago had come to us with just 300 users. They were on one of our legacy platforms. They continued to add seats over time. And then in 2019, they migrated to our combined platform. Um, so the new platform is what they were on. And really, once they got there, much like many of our other customers, that really started an acceleration of what was possible with all of the other data assets and technology and software tools we had built in to the new platform. And so this was a customer that then started adding new seats because the legacy platform didn't have as much data coverage as the new platform. So they started adding new users to the platform. And then they baked us into their CRM system. And then they added intent data. And then they upgraded to the elite edition where they were able to get, uh, where they were able to get intent and workflows and lead scoring and routing and account enrichment. And then they added inbox AI to their, uh, to the offering. And so this is a customer that, you know, has been a customer with, for, with us for years. But once they got onto the new platform and migrated over there, they were able to really open the opus to all of these other uh, features and functionality and data sets that we could offer them. And so we're seeing more and more customers in the enterprise, but also across our customer base, come to that same realization and start taking us up on all of the enhanced offerings that we're able to provide them. And in the enterprise, really, the you know, the other – sort of tailwind for us there is the acquisition of EverString significantly broadened the data coverage we're able to uh, provide for, for enterprise clients, which means we're enriching more data for them. When we plug into CRM, we're resolving back to an entity and contact uh, contact records within, within Zoom Info more often than we ever were. And so we're seeing enhanced opportunity within the enterprise really to, to, to finish that transformation from CRM being that system of record to CRM being a system of insight. And then we've invested really for the last year behind the go-to-market motion in the enterprise as well. And that, that comes from a product perspective where we continue to enhance the offerings that we offer in the enterprise, but also from a go-to-market headcount and talent perspective where we brought, we brought in new enterprise leaders and, and reorganized the segmentation of accounts in the enterprise so that we can make sure that we're, we're really articulating the value we can provide across an organization. And so you're seeing a lot of that come to fruition now. Got it. That's super helpful. And then, Cameron, just maybe one for you. I, I know you, you don't love these questions, but if I look at the delta in kind of the, the patterns around calculated billings versus current RPO, you're seeing sequential trends improve in calculated billings for Q1 versus Q4. 
But if I look at the sequential uh, change in current RPO, it's not the same roughly on a dollar basis in terms of the amount of current RPO added from Q4 to Q1. So just walk, can you walk us through, was there anything, you know, different in the billings calc that, that made that bigger versus depressed the CRPO calc or any help there would, would be appreciated. So I'll start with um, billings as an imprecise metric as well as RPO as you kind of think through just based on the the amount of noise you get from timing of billings, duration of billings, expiration of contracts, et cetera. And, yeah, that, that occurs within uh, the RPO-based metrics as well. You know, one of the things to, you know, consider is the Q4 just seasonally is our strongest quarter from a from an in-period activity perspective. So, yeah, the the number of or the the amount of bookings that you get in terms of RPO tends to be largest in Q4, and you know that that kind of pull forward as you think about the expiration of contracts in, in Q1, yeah, tends to to warp that comparison a little. But again, you know, I think if you're looking at in-period activity and how to best gauge that, the cleanest metric is always going to be um, the sequential growth in revenue as you adjust for days. And if you look at that, you know, the, the Q1 uh, sequential growth relative to Q4, once you have the, the acquisitions, was actually a, a modest improvement. Understood. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Our next question is from Michael Turin with Wells Fargo Securities. Hey there. Thanks. Good afternoon. Um, Cameron, the unloaded free cash flow number certainly stands out as well. I think more than 60% margin is certainly impressive. You mentioned just in the prepared remarks some billings and collections-related commentary, but is there anything else from a seasonal profile perspective for us to be mindful of as we model that line up through the course of the year, given the upside I think was more pronounced than we were modeling? Thank you. Yeah, sure. Great question. Um, you know, look, Q1 is always strong from an unlevered free cash flow perspective, just based on the normal seasonal strength of sales activity in Q4. So, you know, we collected on what was a great quarter in Q4. Plus, you know, we have continued to implement operational improvements around collections that have yielded, you know, really strong results. And if you think about you know, in a SaaS business, I always think about it as days billings outstanding as opposed to days sales outstanding. If you take days billing as outstanding, we've actually improved to a level that's even better than our pre-pandemic levels had been, uh, which helped to drive, you know, cash flow in Q1. And then certainly we, we did have a, a really great um, quarter from a you know, sales and billings perspective in Q2 as well that also helped to drive you know, incremental cash flow. Um, so, you know, overall, as a result of the operational improvements and, and improving growth, um, you know, we do expect that our, you know, free cash flow conversion uh, will be improved in 2021. And that, you know, as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, that we expect to be in the, the high 90s or 100s as a percentage of adjusted operating income for the year. Helpful. Thanks. Nice start to the year. Thanks. Our next question is from Sam Slotsky with Morgan Stanley. Perfect. Thank you so much, guys. Um, I, w I wanted to go back to um, the question of international opportunity. Um, the you know, certainly very impressive start to the year um, in that part of the business. How are you thinking about it for the remainder of the year? Uh, what are some of your initiatives that you're uh, hoping to implement 
uh, as we as we go forward. Sure, I'll jump in, and Henry can add color if uh, if he wants to. But you know, we're really excited about the momentum and success from the early investments we've made in international markets, and we expect to put more wood behind that effort. Um, you know, one of the exciting things is that the effectiveness and efficiency and scalability of our international teams has been similar to that that we've seen in the U.S. Um, and yeah, so I think that from our perspective, the the hardest part is really the you know, travel restrictions and and uh, so forth that we've experienced. If if we we would have had an office open in Europe and probably Australia already if it weren't for COVID. But as the world opens up to foreign visitors and you know landing teams to seed a uh, a team in those regions, we do plan to often open offices internationally uh, to further pursue the the strength that we're seeing there. So just to piggyback on that, um, Cameron, so as we think about the, the back half of the year, um, are you figuring in uh, a greater amount of T&E uh, just between you know, returning to the office domestically and potentially also you know, other uh, international locations opening up? And it, it'll be modest at best. You know, realistically, our sales motion doesn't rely on, um, you know, a heavy amount of in-person visits. You know, there will be some training, but our expectation is that we'll, yes, send some experienced folks that are, you know, deeply uh, ingrained in the culture over there to, to start offices and then, you know, ramp with local hires and, and, uh, and, you know, success that would follow. Got it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. Our next question is from Terry Tillman with Trist. Yeah, thanks for taking my uh, question, and congrats as well. And hey, Henry, uh, Cameron, and Jerry. Um, maybe in terms of Henry, the Salesforce sync, um, you know, the innovation in the bidirectional data uh, feed, you know, what kind of revenue do you actually get from that? And whether it's Salesforce or other ISVs, I, the second part of this is I would think as you're starting to get these seven-figure and eight-figure transactions, people are going to take notice. So I'm curious what you're seeing on the ecosystem development side. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Terry. I think the, uh, on, on Salesforce Sync, that's a capability that we've opened up in our advanced and elite packages. Uh, and so customers will need to migrate from the professional edition, which is kind of our starter edition, to advanced and elite to take advantage of the Salesforce Sync capability. We obviously believe this is an incredibly valuable feature because it allows you to take your first-party Salesforce data and then marry it to Zoom info data to get tighter filters and better views on where your opportunities are, what what accounts you should be engaging with, uh, which contacts and leads are no longer at their firms, and you can see that with a couple of clicks inside of the Zoom info platform. And so really powerful technology, and we're using it as a lever to migrate, migrate people to the uh, to the more advanced solutions, uh, solution packages. I think from an ecosystem perspective, you know, last quarter we announced a, a partnership with Snowflake in their data marketplace. Next quarter you'll see us announce a couple of new partnerships with, uh, uh, with customers where uh, our data and our platform can be embedded in a number of different go-to-market platforms and systems. We really do believe uh, that not only should our customers be engaging with our platform on uh, on Zoom on Zoom Info's application, but that we should also be embedding those solutions inside of the systems that they're going 
to market with, whether that's sales automation or CRM or marketing automation. And so really expanding that ecosystem has always been a, a goal of ours, um, and you'll see us continue to do that over the next, uh, the next quarters. Thank you. Our next question is from Raymond Lanshaw with the Barties. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks for squeezing in. Um, the, uh, Henry, can you talk a little bit about uh, the uh, uh, on the, the evolution of, on the recruiting side? So, uh, where are you in terms of like uh, your ability to cross sell, upsell in terms of sales engineering, etc. And, and what momentum are you seeing there? Thank you. Hey, Ramo. Thank you for the question. Uh, what I would tell you is we're still really early with the recruiter platform. We are in market. We do have uh, paid users of the platform. We expect to do a much larger launch in June, and we expect that launch to start with focus on uh, existing customers, particularly with the enter in the enterprise and the upper mid-market. And ultimately, what, what we're building um, – throughout this quarter and throughout the rest of the year is really a digital motion from candidate sourcing uh, to candidate engagement to interview. And so the ability to give recruiters a suite of not just data, but technology and tools that let them, uh, that let them interact with that data and then feed that, that interaction and activity into their ATS systems. And so we're working on a number of new ATS integrations for the recruiter package. We expect to have a dedicated go-to-market motion on the recruiter product uh, this quarter, and then we expect to accelerate that in the back half of the year as well. Okay, perfect. And then one follow-up for Cameron. So I saw the debt refinance. Could you just maybe remind us, like, the benefit you get from that and, and uh, what's the, the next, next, step, next steps going forward? Thank you. Sure. Um, yeah, there, there are a couple of benefits that we get from that. One is, you know, we did take advantage of a, of a really strong rate environment uh, in February, so we lowered our, our rate across the board between both the uh, term loan and the, the new bond. Um, additionally, it, it gives us added flexibility going forward. So, yeah, the, um, the unsecured bond obviously has uh, – you know, pure covenants and whatever else. It also enables us to take on more uh, term loan debt if we needed it going forward for potential acquisitions or other growth, growth initiatives. And then finally, we also increased the size of our revolver to $250 million, again, to give us more flexibility going forward and we find good opportunities for continued investment. Perfect. Thank you. Congratulations. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question is from Bracelin with Piper Sandler. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, Henry, I wanted to follow up on a common thread that's being asked here, just around the, uh, the amazing strength of the business. I vividly, I vividly recall a conversation with an investor just nine months ago where we had this heated debate around whether or not you could sustain 30% in 2021. Uh, Q1 marks the third trade quarter of accelerating growth, 48.5%, I think the highest in more than two years. My question here, wh what's changed over the last six to nine months where the expected growth rate of your business would improve from, what, 27% consensus use to now 41%? That is a material change. Last time I checked, I think we're still in a global pandemic. So it feels like a lot of small things seem to be working. Maybe it's just the power of the 
the platform that's resonating. I don't know, but any additional color you can give us here because the magnitude of the pace of change and the growth rate certainly seems much, much stronger than anyone was thinking just nine months ago. Hey, Brent, thank you for the question. I think, you know, I wish I could tell you there was like a one silver bullet here. There really isn't. Yeah. I think the thing that I see in this business every day goes back to that cultural focus on best-in-class execution, getting 1% better every year. And what you see in every department over the last nine months is that they don't even look like them like, like they looked nine months ago. We've advanced in every area of the business. We've sophisticated in every area of the business. We've brought in new talent and stronger talent in every area of the business. We've pushed our employees to improve in every area of the business. And this is going to be a business that consistently executes for the long term. We're building a, a durable growth business that's focused on best-in-class execution, and you're just seeing that come through. Certainly uh, in awe here, uh, for sure. Cameron, just quickly on the non-tech vertical, you called out finance, insurance, real estate, and manufacturing. Are you seeing uh, those as incremental, kind of helping drive the logo strength here uh, on top of really strong adoption in tech, or, or those the new areas uh, kind of helping offset maybe a, a slowdown in, in just the, the traditional tech market where you're really strong? Thanks. Yeah, no, I really those as incremental, and, uh, and, you know, they're coming off of a relatively small base, but even within, you know, those software and business services segments that we you know, have traditionally been the early adopters for, for our business, um, you know, we continue to see really strong growth, really strong enterprise uh, growth, and you know those parts of our businesses are still growing in the, you know, in this quarter in the 40s as a percent. So they continue to to do really well, and then we're picking up incremental growth from some of those newer verticals that have traditionally been, uh, you know, a little slower in terms of adoption. Great, well, impressive. Thank you. Our next question is from Tom Roderick with Stefo. Great. Hi, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my questions. Uh, Henry, as, as this business continues to scale, and, you know, I think we've all sort of uh, many people on this call in on the, the eight-figure uh, deal you talked about and certainly a big lift and, and 100K-plus deals, it certainly seems like there's a lot of things you need to be um, – adding and investing and supporting in the, in the go-to-market function. Can you talk a little bit more about, you know, what, what functions you've put in place in sales to, you know, to support larger deals, to support uh, the nurturing of those relationships as they continue to get bigger and, and ultimately, you know, how you know the intent of your own customers on when they're ready to pull the trigger on much bigger deals. And then secondarily, how is the competitive landscape changing as you're finding your way into those, you know, seven and, and even eight-figure deals? Hey, Tom, thanks for the question. I think uh, what you, if you look today at the way our go-to-market organization is organized and you compare that with two years ago, we really have sophisticated the way we go to market, especially in the enterprise. And so today we have a really robust solution sales team. Uh, this is a team that comes in for more sophisticated engagements, more sophisticated solutions that we're selling into. When we bring that team into deals, we see material upside on the size of the deals we're able to close and the, um, and the, the sales cycles we're able to 
uh, we're able to shrink when we bring that team in. We inherited a, a very strong sales engineering team with our acquisition of EverString. Uh, that's being led by the, the former COO of EverString is now running that full motion for us here at Zoom Info. It's an incredibly strong motion. They're integrated into our sales motion. So again, when we get into the enterprise, it's not just an account, executive, an account executive on that deal or an account manager. You have an account executive, an account manager, a solution salesperson, um, and then someone from sales engineering who's focused on the data aspect of the business. And we're really able to do consultative selling in those, in those situations. And that, all of those things that I just outlined, they just weren't here two years ago. And so we've been really thoughtful about where we hire, how we support our enterprise sellers with the right resources that not only make them successful, but that make the enterprise customers excited to engage with us in consultative ways. And we're seeing that pay off across the enterprise. Um, and then do you want to remind me the second part of that question? Yeah, just then the follow-up is just is the competitive landscape changing as yeah. the deal opportunities get larger? Not really. Uh, the competitive landscape as the deals deal get larger is, is, is still pretty unchanged. Got it. And then, you know, this is a little bit of a follow-on um, to, that, to that very question. You sort of answered it with the with the EverString example. But you've had some really nice success making tuck-in acquisitions that are becoming sort of critical components in the product offering. Uh, you know, as I asked the question about go-to-market, how are you, you know, again, supporting um, the corporate development function as you make these acquisitions and, you know, make you should make it great effectively. Is that team getting larger? Are you prepared to do larger deals here going forward? Um, just give us your sense on that going forward as well. Yeah, we think uh, we continue to believe that M&A is going to be uh, a strong growth driver for us, you know, particularly where we can find a solution that gets uh, re remarkably better with our data asset as a shared foundation that we can sell across all of our go-to-market teams. And so we do view M&A as a strategic differentiator for our business. So we are going to continue to grow that corporate development team. Um, I think you will see us continue to do M&A deals throughout, uh, throughout 2021. I think the way we look at deals is uh, – and we don't tend to get fixated on size. I think what we get – what we stay focused on is, is this an asset – that all of our sellers can sell? Can we quota it out to our uh, quota-carrying representatives? Can we enable them to sell those solutions? Can they become core parts of our offering? And can they become uh, strategically differentiated because of our data? And so if we can line those things up and we can see M&A transactions that are accretive in the short term, I think those are acquisitions we're going to be really excited to do. And we're going to be, you know, to the extent that we can be, we're going to be size agnostic to them. Wonderful. Congratulations on the results. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from David Hines with Conaccord. Hey, guys. Congrats on the results. Um, so, so Tom was just asking about, the quality of ads as you go up market. I'll ask about the quantity. If, if you had to characterize, you know, the, the record number of new customers that you're adding, I guess would you attribute it more to top of funnel strength or, or improving win rates? Um, and, and I guess I'll have to follow up while I'm at it. So if you don't win, which I'm sure happens on occasion, what's typically the top reason uh, that uh, a, a lost deal would cite? 
Well, I'll hit the first question, and then I'll let Henry talk about um, why we don't potentially win. But, um, yeah, at the top of the funnel, we are seeing, um, you know, more leads and more qualified uh, leads than we've ever seen before. We are also – we do continue to see our win rates, you know, inch up over time as well. So, you know, again, I think a lot of that is, you know, we are focused on being just 1% better every day. And when you apply that across – you know, multiple layers within that, that funnel, it, you know, really starts to compound upon itself for no real success across the board. And I think that's what we're seeing Q1 and have, you know, have, you know, really strong momentum there. And look, uh, DJ, I think when we lose, um, in most, in, in almost all cases, we're not losing to a competitor or a different solution. We're really losing to no decision. Um, and so what we're focused on doing internally from an enablement perspective is to ensure that when we're engaged with a company, that we're engaged with all the right decision makers who can make a purchase so, uh, so that we get all the right people to the table and we're best able to articulate the value of what our solution brings to the entire spin marketing organization. But we're not seeing anything, you know, specific around when we're losing or, you know, a lack of a certain product feature or data coverage. I think we're just we're losing today to no decision. Yep, that makes sense. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Our next question is from Kash Rangan with Goldman Sachs. Hi, thank you very much. Congratulations on the quarter, and congrats on hiring Prasad as well. Uh, I have two questions for you, Henry. One is, uh, as, as, as we get past the vaccination phase and hopefully we open up uh, is there a possibility that uh, that you're contemplating that a fair amount of uh, uh, selling activity will actually shift to in-person meetings and therefore digital engagement as source of getting leads, et cetera, that probably takes a bit of a backseat as people who have to you know meet clients in person. And secondly, as you look at engage, uh, if you can talk about how much more white space there is for engage before you bump into other established categories in the CRM space. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Cash. I think, look, first, we really do believe that digitization of the go-to-market motion is a one-way one door and really is a durable change. That's not going to go back. And so we don't view um, we don't view this as like a temporary reallocation of T&E or conference spend or, or anything like that. There are strong secular tailwinds that are at work across companies of all sizes that were at work before the pandemic hit, um, and were really strong secular tailwinds for us there too. And so we feel this tailwind. We feel like the market is growing, that more and more people are raising their hands to want to go to market in a data-driven way, and really that that's happening with customers of all sizes, from the largest enterprises uh, to the smallest small businesses, and that we play a critical part in their ability to go to market in an efficient and scalable way. Um, I think there will be, you know, more travel, hopefully, in the back half of this year, but that's not going to change our position from a, from a growth perspective. We don't believe that that's going to impact our customers and prospects' desire to really, be, you know, begin their, their uh, digital transformation from a go-to-market perspective. And on Engage, um, 
lots of white space. I think we're super early in that category. Um, so a lot of white space around sales automation and getting the most out of your sellers and automating their, their daily tasks and integrating that back into their CRM systems and their systems of record. And I don't view that as a, as a, as a product that's uh, bumping in to CRM or that will run out of white space and start bumping into CRM. We see a really big market there that we're really, really early in um, and see, you know, no signs of, uh, of real penetration across our customer base. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next question is from Koji Ikeda with Bank of America. Hey, guys. Uh, really nice quarter. Uh, question for Henry or Cameron. Big, big picture question here. Uh, I guess how much of the Q1 bookings outperformance and, and the pipeline build during the quarter, especially with the bigger deals, is coming from organizations that are still operating uh, with a pandemic mindset versus organizations that are now really ramping up uh, for the post-pandemic world. Thank you. Yeah, I think we, you know, I, I think it's a pretty, uh, I don't think we see um, organizations sort of correcting for the pandemic world anymore. We think that's largely behind us. And so what we're seeing mostly is organizations trying to bring to life, especially in the enterprise, their CRM systems, their marketing automation systems, their sales automation system. Um, they're trying to get high ROI and real engagement out of those systems, and they view us as a strategic partner to be able to fill those systems with insights and really drive adoption and engagement from the frontline sellers and their marketing teams through those systems. And so I don't really, I don't think um, anyone is focused on the pandemic mindset. Everybody is focused today on really digitizing their motion. Got it. Thank you for taking my questions and uh, congrats on a great quarter. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Robert Siemens with RBC Capital Markets. Hi, thanks for taking our question. Uh, I was wondering, could you talk about what you're seeing from the uh, more impacted industries? Sure. So, you know, historically those more impacted industries are a smaller kind of portion of our, uh, of our business. So pre-pandemic it was only 4%. But we are, you know, seeing that, um, you know, in certain areas that that they're starting to come back a little more strongly. So if you think about retail, there are a number of retail customers that are coming on, even in, you know, industries like, you know, sports and hotels, we're starting to see an uptick. We signed the New York Giants and Carolina Panthers in the, in the uh, quarter. And we also signed, you know, some larger hotel chains as well. So, you know, I think we're starting to see those come back, but again, a very small part of the business and, um, yeah, it's not a material driver to, to growth at this point. Got it. Great. Thank you very much. Our next question is from Brian Peterson with Raymond James. Great, thanks. This is Alex Squalon for Brian. Henry, Henry, just one for you, and this actually follows up on your answer to Tash and Koji's questions. But I wanted to ask about the time to value of your platform for customers. Obviously, go-to-market models have clearly changed during the pandemic, and I'm, I'm curious if the time to value has changed in the last year with that, and if there's certain verticals that are getting faster ROIs. Thank you. Yeah, I think we've always been really proud of our really sh 
quick time the value of the Zoom Info solution. Um, this is a solution that you can buy on a Monday, be onboarded on a Wednesday, and really be seeing value on a Friday. Now, there are different types of implementations. Getting this in your sales team's hands and having that sales team uh, really seeing value and return on that investment, that happens in a really short period of time. If we want to do a deeper implementation, potentially with a data science team that's building complicated models for a territory planning exercise or a, an account prioritization motion, you know, that might take, you know, six to eight weeks. But even there, we feel like we're adding value across those six to eight weeks, and we're getting to a full deployment by the end of that eight weeks. But mostly in that process, we're also getting sales teams ramped up on the product, and they're seeing value right away. So really quick time to value with our solution across companies of all sizes. All right, great. Thank you. Thank you. And our last question will be from Pat Woolravens with JMP. Oh, great. Thank you. And let me add my congratulations. So, Henry, can you give us an example of something that you would like your platform to be able to do in the future that it can't do today? Uh, sure. Um, I think one of the areas where we have a lot of opportunity is something that you've heard in the sales and marketing tech space for the last decade, which is the concept of aligning sales and marketing together. And today we have a number of solutions that serve both marketers and salespeople. And in the future, the, I think in the future, tying together those use cases and aligning them in our platform is an area of huge opportunity. And so if you think about our websites tool or our form complete tool, these are tools that are helping the marketer drive top of funnel conversion. Having that top of funnel conversion feed into an SDR view and notification inside of the Zoom Info platform that drives the next best action based on automated workflow motions that the marketer has set up that, you know, a lead comes in, it automatically assigns to an SDR. The SDR is in a view inside of Zoom Info where they see the leads that are assigned to them. They're one click to a motion to, to drive an outbound call or an automated um, email flow and then analytics are provided underneath that so that marketers and sellers are fully aligned from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel. I think that's a really um, big alignment that we're best positioned to do because we already have the eyes of marketers and sellers within our platform. And so really aligning those two sides of the house, I think, is a big opportunity for us in the future, where today we have a lot of the pieces to do that, and we need to tie them all together. That's cool. So would that get rid of this problem of the marketing qualified lead versus the sales qualified lead? Yeah, it would certainly align those two um, stakeholders under one umbrella, for sure. Yeah, that would be cool. Thank you. Great. Well, thank yeah. you, everybody. Uh, thank you, everybody. We're excited to be hosting our first ever Analyst Day on June 14th. And really hope that you'll join us as we do a deeper dive on the business and the durability of our growth and profitability model. I'm confident that it will be a fun and engaging event, and we hope to see you all there June 14th. Thank you. Thank you, and this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for your participation, and you may now disconnect. Mm -hmm.